0: You are listening to an audio sermon from Fort William Baptist Church. Thanks for joining with us today. This year we have begun a new series titled Your Kingdom Come, based on the Old Testament book of 1st and 2 Samuel. This is a book that calls us to action. The text prods and pokes us with this great question: Will you submit your life to the Son of God? It's a call to humble ourselves before this King and trust in Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at www.fortwilliambaptistchurch.com. Thanks for joining with us today. We're going to read the, the whole of 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 1 through verse 42. So let's give our attention to God's good word. Then David fled from Nioth in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes and And thanks. Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at table with the king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem his city for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan if he says good it will be well with your servant but if he is angry then know that harm is determined by him therefore dear kindly with your servant for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the lord with you but if there is guilt in me kill me yourself for why should you bring me to your father and jonathan said far be it from you if i knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you would i not tell you Then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out into the field. So they both went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But it should please my father to do, do you harm. The Lord do so to Jonathan and more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord, that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth." And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed, because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you've hid yourself when the matter was in hand, and remain beside the stone heap. And I will shoot three arrows to the side of it, as though I had shot at a mark, and behold, I will send the boy saying, "Go find the arrows." If I say to the boy, "Look, the arrows are on this side of you. Take them, then you are to come, for as the Lord lives, it is safe for you, and there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, "Look, the arrows are beyond you, then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever." So David hid himself in the field. And when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food, and the king sat on his seat, as at other times, on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, something has happened to him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty, and Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered, Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason he has not come to the king's table. And Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame, and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him so Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy. And he said to his boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, Hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Oh, Father, we ask now, after reading your word, that you would be pleased to lead us into sweet communion with your son. Would you lead us to see more of Jesus and what it means to live with and before your son? And so we ask this morning that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word. Amen. So... In the chapter that we just read, in 1 Samuel chapter 20, we have reached the boiling point in the narrative. The actions of Saul, and we can think about them. Saul's thrown his spear at David. He has planned assassination attempts. He's had these these plots. They have forced his relationship with David to the point of of no return. And so all this pressure that, that Saul has been applying to David has reached the critical point. And, and in this chapter, something has to crack and something does crack in chapter 20. And so in chapter 20, David officially leaves the house of Saul and becomes an enemy of the state. He's going to be a fugitive. He's going to be a man with a, a price on his head. Also in chapter 20, Saul comes out from behind the shadows. Saul is going to officially wage war against a, a new enemy. He's going to marshal his troops he's going to spend his resources he's going to toil and sweat against a new enemy and we have to be clear this enemy is not the enemy of god not like the philistines or the amalekites this enemy is david and as we reflect on all that's happening here we have to say that this is sad there's no other way to interpret the text of scripture As we look at anger, as we look at anxiety, as we look at fear and envy, when these things go unchecked in the human heart, they just create a massive mess of murder, violence, and chaos. And that's what's happening in the text of Scripture. But as we look at chapter 20, there is a a bright spot in the midst of all of this sin and sadness. And the text of Scripture is faithful to point this bright spot out to us. So think about it like this, as everything falls apart in Israel, there is one thing that stands fast in the nation, and it's the covenant that's forged between both Jonathan and David. And so we heard of this covenant back in chapter 18, verse 3. And so David, after defeating Goliath, has this meeting with Jonathan, and Jonathan comes to David, and he covenants with him. Now, this exchange back in chapter 18, verse 3, wasn't a a matter of mere friendliness. David, I I saw what you did with with Goliath, and and I really uh, appreciate you. I I think you're a great guy. Nor was it some some simple matter of, of appreciation. So like after a basketball game, players will swap their jerseys. Rather, what happened in chapter 18, verse 3 had this kingdom-shaking effect. In this covenant, what Jonathan did was he handed over his share of the kingdom to David. Even more in this covenant, Jonathan bound himself, heart and soul, to the cause and rise of David. And so, what chapter 20 does is it takes up this covenant from chapter 18 and it sets it before us as readers. And so with all this sin, with all the sadness, the story wants us to take a long and careful look at this covenantal relationship between Jonathan and David. And so the key word that dominates this passage is quite obvious. It's it's covenant. So it's found in every conversation. David mentions it explicitly in verse 8. In verse 16, Jonathan then cuts a covenant with the house of David, and at every point in chapter 20, the characters are trying to figure out how to live faithfully in this covenant with each other. And so we ask as readers, well, what, what does a covenant actually do? What are we talking about here? Well, a covenant orders the life of a relationship. A covenant sets parameters. A covenant sets boundary lines. A covenant says, you can do this, you can't do that, you can go this far, but you can't go any farther in this relationship. A covenant defines expectations. You should expect to receive this from me, and I can expect to receive that from you. A covenant makes promises. I'll do this for you, and you're going to do this for me. And above all, a covenant makes demands. It's it's a binding relationship. You must do this for me. You must fulfill this. You must accomplish this. And so this covenant between Jonathan and David is ordered by four attributes. And we're going to see these four attributes in the text. And these four attributes are going to be the outline of the sermon. And so in verses 1 through 11 we're going to find the word loyalty. In verses 12 through 23, we're going to find the word humility. In verses 24 through 34, we're going to find long suffering, And finally, in verses 35 through 42, we're going to find the word love. So before we get into the text and look for these words in the text, I want to give you a word about how to to make use of this text. So I want to front load our application right here. So as we look at this covenant in chapter 20, this this ordered relationship between Jonathan and David, we're going to find instruction. Chapter 20 is going to instruct us how to live with the Lord's anointed. And this is important. This has immediate application for us because in chapter 20, we're going to learn how to live with Jesus. Chapter 20 is about learning how to live with the Lord's anointed. And so this text is powerful, and we can be sure that it's going to work on our hearts, and it's going to do two things. First, as we study these four attributes, we're going to find the text of Scripture investigating us and pursuing us. It's going to be asking questions like this Are you really loyal to the Messiah? Are you really humble? Are you ready to undergo hardship, loss, and persecution for the sake of the Messiah? Do you really love the Messiah above everyone, everything else? And the reality is if we we pursue this work honestly, and if we pursue this work with the help of the Spirit, we're going to see some stuff in our hearts. As we look at the loyalty of Jonathan towards David, we might begin to see some fickleness in our hearts own hearts. As we consider the, the humility of Jonathan before David, we might begin to notice some pride at work in our hearts where we don't want to bend the knee to King Jesus. And so in light of all of this, I, I invite you to use this story, chapter 20, as a, as a launching pad for confession. So as Christians, when we see sin, we do something with it. We, we don't sit on our sin we don't mope around in our sin. We don't hang on to our sin. What do we do when, this, when the Spirit, through the Scriptures, shows us our sin? Well, we do something really simple. We take our sin to the Lord and we plead the blood of Jesus. And, and so chapter 20 is inviting us to make use of the Gospel. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so chapter 20 is an invitation to confess sin and find forgiveness. Second, as we study these four attributes, we're going to find the the story performing a work of encouragement. And so the story is going to be prodding us along as we read it. It's going to be saying something like this. Can't you see it? Can't you see what God's powerful grace can, can do for men and women? It can change them, it can make them loyal and humble, full of long-suffering and love. Chapter 20 is a picture of what you can become by God's grace, through God's grace. And so we're gonna see Jonathan. And while Jonathan is a great man, he is an exemplary man in every way, he's also a man of a similar nature, like ours. He, just like us, was a sinner saved by God's grace. And he, just like we do to this very day, this very moment, made progress and grew in stature by making use of the covenant, by pursuing God's word, by receiving God's gifts. And so in light of this, I invite you to use chapter 20 to fuel your ambition to live a holy and faithful life to Jesus. We have to understand. We have to understand this. We must use this story then to push us towards the means of grace. Because the means of grace enable us to live a faithful and holy life. And so when we daily confess our sins, when we go to the Lord and plead for His grace, when we gather with God's people, as we are doing right now, receiving God's gifts by faith, God actually does something to us. In this moment, God is is changing us and making us faithful and holy. And we can have this great hope even this morning. What is God going to be doing as we work through chapter 20? He's going to be planting these four attributes down into our our souls. So that's the plan for this morning. We've got the application in front of us. Now we need to actually figure out what this covenant between Jonathan and David means and what these four attributes actually mean for us. So let's get into the story. So in chapter 20, David is on the run from Saul and he makes an appearance before Jonathan. And as we read the story, David's voice takes the lead at the beginning of chapter 20 and he he begins this conversation with Jonathan by making a protest. It's in verse one, he says to Jonathan, what have I done? What is my guilt and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? So David is making a, a protest and from that protest, he begins to to push on Jonathan. David is urgent and he wants Jonathan to feel the urgency of his situation. So verse three, David says, there is but a step between me and death. I'm close to death, Jonathan, don't you feel it? And David is in this conversation because he wants Jonathan to do something. Verse eight, he says this, deal kindly with your servant for you've brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you but as we turn to Jonathan and start to listen to his side of the conversation right away as this conversation begins we find some initial reluctancy on the part of Jonathan in verse 2 Jonathan says this far from it you shall not die it isn't so and this puzzles us doesn't it because Saul's anger is apparent Saul is green with envy we see his violence towards David why would Jonathan be quick to deny why would he see why would he say it isn't so David well the issue isn't disbelief in David or a lack of care of David the issue is Jonathan's integrity why is Jonathan reluctant he is reluctant because he is a man of his word so if you remember in chapter 19 verse 6 Saul made this plan he was, he was recruiting high-ranking officials to go kill David. But, but Jonathan came and he he talked, talked his father out of it. And what did Saul do? Saul made a vow to Jonathan, I will not kill David. And so Jonathan is a man of integrity. He's a man of his word. And when you're a man of your word, you expect other people to be a man of his word. And so what does Jonathan do? He expects his father to keep his vow. And so Jonathan says to David, it, it can't be. My, my father made this vow to me. He spoke to me face to face, man to man. How can he go back on his words? And at this point, we get some perspective into the mind and heart of Jonathan. We can see now as the, the chapter, as the story has been unfolding, that, that Jonathan has been set up for this test of loyalty. Before this point, Jonathan could faithfully serve both David and his father. There was no conflict of love. There's no competition in interest. But now with Saul's growing hostility towards David, what does Jonathan have to do? He has to pick a side. So what will Jonathan do? Will he, he choose his father or is he going to choose David? Is he going to give his allegiance to the house that he was raised in? the house that that he bears himself in his person, or the house of David? Will he serve his father, the man who raised him from the days of his youth? Or will he go and serve David, a man young enough to be his own son? And so the story continues on. David proposes a plan to Jonathan, and the point of this plan is to force the hand of everyone. This plan will reveal the murderous intentions of Saul, and this plan will also force Jonathan to come to terms with his father and who his father really is. And so the plan is really simple. What's going to happen is David's going to absent himself from the feast. And when Saul asks about David's absence, Jonathan is gonna have a prepared response saying that David has gone to his family to feast with them and Jonathan is gonna sit there and he's gonna observe what Saul does and then go and report to David. And so here's the question. David has protested, David has pleaded, David has proposed a plan and we ask, well, what is Jonathan going to do? What sort of man is Jonathan? He's being pushed here we we'll go to verse 3. We find the answer. Jonathan speaks, and when he speaks, loyalty just oozes from his speech. Jonathan says to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. Those are glorious words. Wh- whatever you say, I will do for you. This is what the covenant demanded. It demanded Jonathan's loyalty even when it crossed his love for his father, his bond to his father. And what does Jonathan do? He gives his loyalty to David and he gives it without hesitation or reservation. Whatever you say, whatever you say, David, I will do for you. And as we think about it, this is exactly what the covenant demands of us. Just listen to what Jesus says to anyone who would follow after in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. We see it played out in Jonathan's life. He had to make a choice between his father or David, the Lord's anointed. And what Jesus is saying, what you see taking place in 1 Samuel chapter 20 directly applies to you in your situation. Jesus is saying, I demand your loyalty, even when it crosses the most dear relationships known to us. And I demand it without hesitation or reservation. We ought to say with Jonathan, whatever you say, Jesus, whatever you say, I will do for you. So that's the first covenant attribute, loyalty second covenant attribute humility so back into the story they have a plan but there's one matter to sort out with the plan well how will jonathan share the news about his father to david if saul is truly murderous if 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 saul has these plans going on to to kill david they have to be really careful because if they have a a meeting in a, a sloppy way that could actually kill david And so Jonathan and David go out into the field, and what they do in the field is they share a set of codes. They have this scene of spycraft. So Jonathan is going to shoot his arrows, and he's going to instruct his boy, and how he shoots his arrows and instructs his boy is going to tell David if it's safe to come back or if he needs to run for his life. But in the midst of all of this spycraft, there's an interesting exchange between Jonathan and David, and I want to point it out to you. Look at verses 14 through 16 so Jonathan looks David in the face and he says this to him. David, if I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love for my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. To really feel the force of these words, we just need to set this in context a bit. What's happening here? Well, David has come to Jonathan. And why has David come to Jonathan? Because he is, he is needy and desperate. He is running for his life from Saul. And who is Jonathan in this setting? Well, Jonathan is a man who is safe and secure. He's a man of privilege and honor. He holds positions of power within Israel. He is the crown prince of Israel. But as we listen to Jonathan in these three verses, Jonathan flips this whole scenario around. Just think about them with me. Jonathan's words do not reflect any sort of privilege, any sort of pride. Rather, he comes off as the needy one. He looks to David and he starts pleading with him. He says, show me the steadfast love of the Lord. Jonathan doesn't sound like a powerful man. Instead, he sounds as a man who's running for his life. Twice with David, he speaks of his death. He says, if I am still alive that I may not die. Even more, as Jonathan assesses this situation, he looks at David as the one who is secure and at himself as one who is radically insecure. He says, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And as readers, we ask, has Jonathan lost his mind? Doesn't he remember who he is? He's the crown prince of Israel. If anyone is safe in Israel, it is Jonathan. And as readers, we have to understand that Jonathan has not lost his mind. In fact, Jonathan is the only one in the story at this point who is showing spiritual sanity. Because Jonathan understands the nature of the covenant. He understands what the Lord is doing for David. This relationship is not about what he can do for David, rather this relationship is, is about what David can do for him. Jonathan is needy of David. And in the midst of this, Jonathan actually understands himself. He has self-awareness. He isn't deluded by by the power. He isn't deluded by the privilege, the wealth that he has as the crown prince of Israel. He knows above all things, as he has watched the Lord deal with David, that he is a needy man. In fact, he is desperately needy of David and what David can do for him. And so what does Jonathan do? Jonathan flips the whole scenario around and he pleads with the Lord's anointed and he humbles himself before him. Show me the steadfast love of the Lord. There's a lesson here for us. We can only live with the Lord's anointed if we walk before the Lord's anointed with humility. The covenant works only if we cast aside strength power, ability, and all of those trappings because the covenant is built upon this precept. Only the needy, only the desperate, only the empty can live with God's Messiah. That's the only way it works. And Jonathan leads us in the way of life. We, we live with Jesus by saying, won't you show me the steadfast love of the Lord? And so the covenant demands humility of us. And this is what Jesus says to us in the gospel. Mark chapter two, verse 17. Listen to Jesus as he describes his ministry. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So we've got loyalty. We've got humility. Now we can look at long suffering. So the plan has been made, and the only thing left to do is to carry the plan out. And so David goes out into the field, and he hides himself. And, and Jonathan goes to the feast, and he sits himself down, and he's going to watch and wait to see what his father does. And so on the first night of the feast, Saul comes, and he sits down, and he begins to eat, and he, he notices that David's spot is empty, but he, he doesn't say anything. And then the second night of the feast, the same thing happens. But, but this time, Saul is, is wary. This can't be coincidence anymore that David is not here at this feast. So he, he asks in verse 27, why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today? So Jonathan then carries out the plan. He, he responds with the planned response and the, the trap is set. What will Saul do? We shouldn't be surprised at this point because Saul does what we expect him to do. He completely loses it. He loses it. Why? Because he's been tricked and outwitted by David again. It doesn't matter what Saul does. He can't get ahead of David. David is always ahead of him, and so he loses it. But we need to slow down, and we need to pay attention to the actions of Saul here because they have spiritual significance for us. Saul does three things when he loses it. First, he gets incredibly angry. And this has happened before. You remember that time after the Goliath incident? Saul and David are, are heading back, and the women start to sing, and they, they're boasting, and David, he has killed 10,000, and Saul has killed his thousands. And what does Saul do? He gets angry. He gets incredibly angry. But this time, in this story, his anger is not directed towards David. Rather, his anger is directed towards his own son. Verse 30, Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. Interesting. Second thing Saul does is he's angry and he starts to speak. He speaks to Jonathan. He says, verse 30, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? That's a, that's a coarse and vulgar insult, and it's hard to, to capture the, the significance of these words in a setting like this. But in essence, what, John, what, what Saul is saying to Jonathan is, you're a son of a prostitute. You can fill that in with your own colorful vocabulary. You're a son of a prostitute. And just think about that for a moment. What does that mean for Jonathan? Well, Saul is saying to Jonathan, you are an illegitimate child. In essence, he is saying, you are not my son. You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Third, Saul's anger takes action, verse 33. Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. What does all of this mean? What significance does this hold? Well, just think about the story so far. Saul hates who? Saul hates David. Because Saul has hated David... What has he done? He, he's pushed David away out of his own household. And not only that, but, but Saul has tried to, to kill David. He has literally taken his own spear and thrown it at David, trying to strike him and pin him against the wall. But what happens here? Saul hates Jonathan. Saul disowns Jonathan. Saul tries to kill Jonathan. Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Well, Jonathan has joined himself to the Messiah, and because Jonathan has joined himself to the Messiah, he is being treated exactly the same as the Lord's anointed. Do you see it? There's this parallel, and we can't miss it when we compare Jonathan to David and how he's treated by by Saul. This is what happens when you follow the Messiah. You're treated exactly the same as the Messiah. And so what does Jonathan do? Just think about that setting for a moment. There is your father. He is angry. He's speaking these these gross words. He picks up his spear and he throws it at you. What does Jonathan do in this moment? Well, he endures the suffering and the shame, and he endures the suffering and the shame. Why? Because he has joined himself to the Lord's anointed. In fact, he endures it because he is more concerned about his own safety, about his own reputation, because he is concerned, because he has set his eyes on David. Look at the text, verse 34. Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month. Why? For he was grieved. Why? For David. Because his father disgraced him. Jonathan was consumed with the honor and glory of of David and Jonathan gives us a clear picture of what it looks like to follow after Jesus. He's a man of long suffering, enduring shame and abuse and violence for the sake of David. What we see is this is the same reality that waits for us as we follow Jesus. Following Jesus means sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. As Jonathan followed David, all of a sudden he was treated like David, and he began to look like David. And that's what happens to us. As we follow Jesus, we begin to get treated like Jesus. We share in the suffering of Jesus. And this is what the covenant demands. It demands long-suffering. John 15, verse 20, Jesus says this to us. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So we've got three attributes down. We've got one left to go. That's love. So back into the story. The plan has worked. The plan's worked. Everybody knows about Saul now. And so Jonathan goes out to the field, and he launches his arrow, and the boy's running after the arrow, and he yells at the boy, is not the arrow beyond you? Hurry, be quick, do not stay. The boy comes back. Jonathan sends the boy back to town, And then there's this meeting between Jonathan and David once the coast is clear. And this is an emotionally charged meeting. Listen to the story, verse 41, verse 42. David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times and they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most, Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord saying, the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. We have to pay attention to the emotions here because the emotions reveal the glue of this relationship. The covenant is held together by this factor, by love. The loyalty, the humility, the long suffering is built upon this foundation of love. Jonathan loves David and David loves Jonathan. And this scene at the end of chapter 20 brings us to the heart of following after Jesus. The covenant demands love. In fact, the covenant with Jesus only works if it is built on love and infused with love and shot through with love because there won't be any loyalty, a loyalty that lasts in the midst of hardship and persecution unless there is love. There won't be any humility before Jesus unless there is love in your heart. There won't be any long-suffering unless you love, dearly love Jesus. And this is what the Lord Jesus demands from all who would follow after him. He demands that we would love him. Do you remember that scene at the end of the Gospel of John? Jesus is with Peter and he asks him, Do you love me? Do you love me? And Jesus asks the same question of all who would follow after him. Do you love me? Do you really love me? Jesus is clear, this love is an ardent love. Jesus is not content with with low-grade love. He he presses on us. Do you remember how Jesus spoke in the book of Revelation to the church of Ephesus? He says, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Jesus desires not just love, but, but ardent love. You must love my name supremely. And this love has to last. This love is not just mere sediment here for a moment and then gone, just a passing feeling, but a love that lasts until we meet Jesus face to face. And so Jesus comes to us, and through this text, he demands our love. But as we pay attention to the story, there's also encouragement for us because the love of the covenant is not a one-way street. Jonathan loved David. And the text tells us and reminds us that Jonathan loved David, but we see that David loved Jonathan In fact, it was David who wept the most. And hear the good news of the gospel. The Lord's anointed loves sinners. The Lord's anointed loves sinners. In the covenant of grace, the covenant that we now live in, we find the fullness of Jesus' love. We find Jesus' love in his words. Just pick up your Bible and read his words because every sentence he speaks drips with love for those who belong to his, his covenant. His entire life speaks of love. We see him with the crowds, healing. We see his love. We see it in his suffering. Oh, how he loves us. We see it in his, his death, in the spilling of his blood. We say, oh, how he loves us. Jesus' love does not stop there. His love was not exhausted at the cross, but the Lord's anointed, even to this day, loves his church. He loves you. I love Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, because it opens wide the heart of Jesus. John is describing Jesus, and he says this, to him who loves us. Pay attention to the grammar. That's present tense. To him who loves us. That's the Jesus we meet in the covenant. We are demanded to love him, but he loves us. He loved us first, and he continues to love us. And so the question is at the end of the sermon is, well, what shall we do with all of this? We've heard the story. We've related it to Jesus back and forth, back and forth. What do we do? Well, we do what we said we were going to do at the beginning of the sermon. We need to go to the Lord in confession. Loyalty. Have you been loyal to the Lord Jesus? Loyal like Jonathan was to David. Humility. Have you humbled yourself before the Lord Jesus? Where is there pride at work in your heart? Are you like Jonathan? Even though you have wealth and power, you throw it all aside because you know how much you need King Jesus because you just plead, show me the steadfast love of the Lord. That's what I need. That's all I need. Long-suffering. Are you balking at the cost of following Jesus? There's a situation at work or at at school, and and you're not ready to enter into it because you are not ready to suffer for Jesus Christ. Love. What's the temperature of your heart for King Jesus? Do you love him? Do you really love him? But, brothers and sisters, we can't stop there. (laughs) We confess our sins, but after we confess our sins, we plead for his grace and we ask the Lord that we might grow up to be like Jonathan. Oh God, would you give me grace to grow up to be a man, to be a woman of faithfulness and loyalty, love and humility, full of long suffering. And here's the good news, as we plead with God for these gifts, he loves giving gifts to us and he will make us like that. Let's pray. Father, we bring ourselves to you this morning. We bring our sin. Oh, our sins are many, and we trust even right now that we have an advocate with you, Jesus Christ the righteous. And we trust that he is cleansing us and forgiving us even right now. And we pray right now, and we plead right now for grace. Oh, would you change us that we might grow up in the faith, that we might resemble more and more of Jonathan. We pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen.